Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and I've got a return guest today. We've got Mr. Andre Darlington. He was on the show a couple of years ago uh, promoting his book at the time, Booze and Vinyl. He's got a new book coming out uh, very soon. We're going to talk all about it today. Um, he's I caught him in the in the country. You're at home in Philadelphia. Welcome yes. to the show, Andre. Well, or welcome back to the show. Thank you much for having me on, man. I, I love this show, and I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I was trying to think, um, you know, a couple couple days ago, I was thinking, I, I don't even remember how we got linked up, but we we met online kind of unofficially before your first, well before, well before your first book dropped. And uh, yeah, it's been a while now. I mean, because I think it was three years ago, three or four years ago that you were on to promote uh, Booze and Vinyl. Yeah, it was either 2017 or 2018. It was um, Booze and Vinyl came out, I think in 2018, we would have rolled through Indianapolis probably sometime around then in the summertime. That's right. Um, we That's rolled right. that we rolled that bus, uh, the mobile listening van up. Yeah. And uh, awesome. it was a great night. I, I think we went out uh, for some drinks that night. It was a fantastic, uh, a fantastic time in Indianapolis. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. We went across the street and had some drinks in your in your, in your mobile listening band at the, <laughs> yes. uh, at the bar across the street. And that, it was funny. We just actually, as I as we sit here, it's kind of odd uh, timing. I just launched, uh, speaking of your booze and vinyl, we just launched A440 podcast today. Um, yeah. Kind of like heavy metal musicians and underground musicians. And I thought about that as we were kind of linking up today. And uh, it's also odd timing because um, as we record this, it, it, of course, Everything posts uh, a little bit later than we recorded, but we're almost precisely one year from the complete shutdown, you know, and the shelter disorders. I mean, it's as we sit here, we were talking about, you know, St. Patrick's Day in Chicago kind of being that that moment that I remembered where it was like everyone took a step back, looked at all the people that went out partying for St. Patrick's Day in Chicago and were like, we can't do this. And then, yeah, all the politicians started shutting us down, I think the next morning, which you on what the 18th. Yeah. It's wild, man. We're Just here. crazy. You know, you get those, those pop-ups on either Google photos or Facebook that tell you what you were doing a year ago. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, a year ago, um, we had this impending pandemic and none of us knew right. that a year later, we'd still basically be in the same, I know <laughs> in our, in our dens on podcasts. <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, financial advisor. Actually, he's based in Indy, but he's syndicated all over the United States called Pete, the planner. And uh, I saw him uh, repost a tweet of his from last year at this exact day. That was like, I, you know, I, I uh, it was a prescient, uh, you know, tweet. I didn't know how bad it would, would get. But if you re- read it, it was like, no one understands how bad this is going to get. Like, yeah. economically, this is going to be crushing. And that was right at the beginning. And so, yeah. yeah, I mean, here we are a year later. Obviously, a lot of things have changed. One thing that hasn't changed is that you're writing books and you always stay busy. We, you know, that's we were chatting before the show and you seem to be one of those guys that's always got a project going now in this particular project, uh, your new book. And, and it is not out at the moment, right? Or is it, it it's in pre-order. It comes out May 4th. So there's been a lot of disruption in the publishing industry year sure. this year. It was supposed to come out in April, but there were bad storms, I guess, yeah. and COVID and number of delays. I was actually surprised that they were on target and about, even a week ago, maybe they said, oh, we're moved back to May 4th. So not, wow. it's only like a couple weeks. You know, I got lucky. I only got a couple weeks disruption. So May 4th, it's in pre-order. It's on Amazon and wherever books are sold, all the independents. So oh, the weird thing, and not weird, but I mean, the lucky thing about this is that you literally, um, 
went out and traveled the world in order to do this. So the, the new yeah. book is called Booze Cruise. I'll let you give us the synopsis before we get into it and start asking the, the questions. But what, what, is, what is Booze Cruise all about? Uh, I got a chance to have a look at, at, at the PDF of it, which yeah. was on my phone, you know, zooming in and out. But I got a chance to look through it. And it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. I got really lucky. I'm working with the same uh, team that did New Cocktail Hour with me and Booze and Vinyl. Um, and they just knocked it out of the park all over again. So I handed in this script and they just went wild. It's really lush. And um, each page looks, you know, kind of like Booze and Vinyl. Each page just different fonts, different colors. It really helps set the place. So this book is really a travel book. Booze and Vinyl was sort of a music book, um, an analog book. This book is uh, a travel, a travel, kind of a travel log in a way. It's more than 40 cities. Um, it's got a little food in there too. Each city, I try to set the scene, talk a little bit about what's happening with cocktails there. I do two cocktails, pretty much two cocktails per city. Most of the time, at least one of those cocktails is you know, kind of a classic that we think of from that city if they have one. Um, maybe something a little bit new from bartenders or just something like, um, you know, if a city doesn't have necessarily a classic that we all think of, um, trying to get a feel for that city. So this book is very um, sort of experiential and uh, it is 40 plus uh, cities. I didn't do them all at the same time, but I did circumnavigate the globe last year when I got the book deal. Um, I said, you know, I have to go and see some of these cities I haven't gone, which is actually when I reached out to you um, as one of the many, many people uh, that I reached out to for advice. And I know we, we chatted about Bangkok. In fact, you're the per first person I've talked to uh, on, on a, a podcast or radio show who's mentioned in the credits. So I hope you saw that part oh, of the I'm, back. I'm, of the no, end. I didn't make it. Well. I, <laughs> if, you, if you scroll to the back, you're in there, my friend. Wow, um, but so, so, so this book, I, I did, I did a, a circumnavigated the globe in about 65 days, uh, hitting as many cities as I could. A lot of that was to get to the far East where, you know, things are just exploding or have been exploding. Yeah. Um, Taipei, Hong Kong, Singapore in particular, um, but even Seoul, uh, just cities I really needed to see, in, you know, recently. And um, it was phenomenal because uh, my editor, she, we had talked about a number of different projects and she sort of greenlighted this one. And I stepped out of my house uh, from New York City, um, flew to Berlin I want to say late November, and I was back in January, late January, um, and so it wasn't far after that. I was starting to write the book, and the door started closing behind me. In fact, there was whispers of things when I was in China. I went from China to Seoul to Tokyo, and by the time I was in Tokyo, I think the news had already broken that something weird was happening in Wuhan. And I, I came home and uh, bought a mask. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you know, and it's, it's always strange traveling anyway. You know, um, I'm I've been getting hit really hard with kind of seasonal allergies in the last few weeks, despite it dropping below freezing again today in Indianapolis. <laughs> um, and I have a terrible, terrible record of traveling um, abroad and it, even from the East Coast to the West Coast, of the United States. And I, I always seem to be the person that ends up with a cold. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I get to wherever I'm going and I'm just like, ah, why do I have to get sick on my, you know, only four days off in the next year or whatever. And I mean, just at the rate that you were traveling between time changes, being, you know, jumping onto airplanes with, wow. you know, people from numerous different countries and just baggage checks. I mean, what a logistical nightmare. And, and so as I read the book and again, Hey, I'm 
I'm not shitting on your process here. Whatever you can get people to pay for, great. But as I was looking through it, I was like, did he really need to go to 20 cities to write write these paragraphs? You know, I was like, hey, it's great. That's awesome. But, you know, um, because I know that, you know, you linked up with a lot of people I knew as you were in uh, Southeast Asia and Singapore and stuff. And uh, but, you know, you're right. You do have to see the scene that's happening there. And when I was going through, it was almost... um, and it's a large book. It's not a small book. Yeah. And, and to kind of dive in, and you talked about there being kind of a classic cocktail or something that you would recognize from the area, which, you know, I so I said Singapore. Like, Singapore right. playing is going to come to mind for everybody right off the bat. Yeah. Um, but, you know, only being able to choose one more, you know, kind of holding yourself to two, that's hard. Because I can tell you for Singapore alone, you know, like every single menu at every single bar. So super, amazing. Super creative. Yeah. Very underappreciated part of the world. In fact, I did several interviews from there a couple of years ago. Um, when I traveled uh, there because I was just so blown away by the scene there. Yeah. And uh, that's got to be a trick. And, you know, uh, you know, you aren't um, just putting a bar's cocktail on as the one or two. And that, that's kind of a, a line to walk as well, because that would seem, you know, as an advertisement or promotion for that one bar. Yeah, exactly. It was a tough line because you don't want to be cliche, right? You don't want to be like, oh, Singapore has a Singapore sling. That's so obvious. And as we know from being there, uh, Singaporeans don't really drink the Singapore sling. It's a tourist thing, right? So you have to say that, but also that's kind of what people are expecting, um, but also do a good version of it. Um, so everywhere I went in the world, I was like, and that was an issue. Like, how do I make this not cliche, but how do I make this interesting? But also always with a directive from the publisher that it has to be a repeatable drink, um, you know, for the home bartender. Right. And um, and makes it, you know, and over there they're using roto evaporators and, oh, yeah. you know, everything is, you know, clar- clarified and, and sm- you know, dry ice. And I mean, they're real showstoppers one after one. So it was kind of um, difficult in that way because it is, you know, more on towards a mass market book that really needs to appeal to um, a wide audience. I always, you know, I'm, I'm like a proselytizer for all my books. I really want to make sure that it could be baby's first cocktail book and it's going to be okay. And they're going to like craft cocktails and it's a good introduction. Um, you know, so booze and vinyl was kind of the same way. Oh, somebody likes Johnny Cash or, you know, somebody likes the whatever, whatever band back, uh, you know, and that's their on their entry point to cocktails. I want to make sure that they have a good entry point. And it was the same for this. And I didn't want people to open up the book, you know, you can go out to Amazon or any review site. And one of the first things you'll see is the complaints about books where things are too abstruse, too weird. And, you know, you'll just get like, oh, this book is really great and beautiful, but I couldn't find anything. And then it tasted weird anyway. You know, so I really wanted it to be like, no, you can find this ingredient at a local Asian market or, you know, um, Latin American market or on Amazon if you have to, or, or, you know, La Tienda Spanish site or something, you can find this in the United States and recreate this drink. And it's going to give you some history and some idea of what's going on. Yeah, I found that um, really to be, I guess, one of the more, uh, the bigger annoyances, and it's funny that you addressed that because the next question was going to be, do you see your consumers, you know, somebody that doesn't know what they're doing with cocktails at all and wants an entry point, or uh, I, I think there's plenty of professional books out there. Um, everybody keeps, seems to keep selling books to one another in that. <laughs> yeah, um, I try not, I try to avoid that pitfall yeah. <laughs> because and, and, we all want to be selling high-end cocktail books, but I don't think they, they don't necessarily, you know, sell that well. And when I, you know, even going across the country, in that um in that mobile listening van you know there's so many people when i when i do little events across the country 
Um, they don't know when to stir and when to shake. I do find that the people that pick up my books know are 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 just are dangerous, right? They they know how to make a Manhattan. They know how to make martinis. They they know some, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I think booze and vinyl ended up being um, more of a coffee table book than I think I could have ever imagined, and has you know got a lot of people into it because they you know, buy a little um, turntable and, sure. and buy the book and have it sitting there. I do think this book will be um, appeal to foodies too, because there's lots of ingredients in there that are kind of food world driven. And I did try to put, um, you know, at least one pot meals or interesting meals that um, people dr- eat with, with drinks to try and contextualize the cocktails and really drop people into place. Yeah. I noticed that uh, when I flipped to the, uh, Rome listing, and you mentioned the uh, aperitivo hour when you know you could practically just fill up on all the food that right. they put out, right. and uh, which you know I've done numerous times. You know, you sit and have a few bottles of wine or or uh, aperol spritz in Rome, and you realize, oh shit, I'm not really hungry anymore because you know dinner doesn't start until nine o'clock. Yeah. So it, no, uh, exactly, it, and and then it's huge. But uh, yeah, I mean, we we we're in the drink world, and you know, we go to these websites. Or we get the magazines and they talk about Negronis, 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 Negronis. But if you haven't been there, no one tells you that you always get olives, potato chips, and maybe a little piece of bread with like butter and ham on it, which really makes the Negroni so (laughs) much better. Right. I mean, and it really contextualizes it. And I remember sitting, um, you know, down um, in one of the markets and I ordered uh, two Negronis and a paper plate comes out with this little sandwich and um, like two olives, some potato chips. And I'm like, oh, this is like Negroni life, you know, <laughs> not just like fetishizing this Negroni in the glass, which I do, you know, I have like multiple different vermouths I'm always screwing around with and 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 whatever. Um, but if you just add just a little bit of food and bring it in your life, you can kind of like dial down the craziness of the Negroni <laughs> and dial up the lifestyle. Well, I think that's, it's you hit the nail on the head, you know, being that on or, uh, you know, entree or uh, entry point for, you know, at home bartenders, because, you know, we can get into our own feedback loop in the, the bar and restaurant industry. And of course, <laughs> in the last year, none of us have talked about uh, craft anything for a while. Now it's just right. like, hey, we need money and we need to stay open. But right. It's the year you know, of the <laughs> slushy, right? Everyone was just like having slushies or patch or bottled cocktails and, you know, things yeah, like it was comfort, it, it, it was the year, you know. Uh, yeah. in the book as well, but I, you know, it's people know enough to be dangerous, but they don't know quite enough. I, I'm right. still kind of surprised because we are in our own echo chamber and assume that everybody knows, you know, that this should be served in that glass or this right. should be taken, this should be stirred. This is what you do with an egg white. Uh, this is how you measure these ingredients. This is how you make a simple syrup and all of these things. Um, and then, you know, you talk to your sister or, well, not your sister. Yeah. Your sister's co-authored. Right, right. Talk to your neighbor or whatever. Yeah. No, and well, that's a p- perfect case in point. My neighbors, you know, um, they, it's this, what I do is completely foreign to them. You know, yeah. they're, they're vodka soda drinkers, you know, they're yeah. golf course visor, hang out, you know, weekend warrior kind of thing. And so it's just, we don't even speak the same language. And so it, it's hard to find those books and publications that can say, check this out. If you find this interesting, you know, I, then I've got some stuff for you, you know, um, yeah, absolutely. Like, like you said, you know, I've got literally behind me, there are stacks and stacks and stacks of books. Yeah. Um, and all of them have specialty syrups and, you know, like you said, um, you know, well, nothing rotovapped. I don't have a rotovapped. <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know, 
And so next? it's cool that you that you've been able to appeal to that, but also like, um, I mean, you and I have always gotten along. Bartenders respect you. You always ask the fun, right questions. So as you've traveled the world now, and you've met tons and tons of bartenders, and you've traveled a lot previously, but this time you really set out with a plan. I guess before I get to, to the bartender part of it, I mean, how do you set out on a trip logistically that's going to hit all these cities? Because man, it, it, that's, it, a- that's planning. That's a lot. I mean, did you have help? Did you just you know no help? Of course. So the biggest, the bigger the book, the less help and less, less money you get. <laughs> I keep telling my editor, I just want to write uh, Andre's um, pantry cocktail book where I put on my slippers and my robe and go downstairs and add stuff to vodka. You know, (laughs) it would be cheap to write and I wouldn't have to do anything, but I never get that. I always get the, let's go around the world. It's like, okay. And it was, it's actually interesting Ed, that you, you ask about it because it was such a big undertaking that it almost started to detract from the actual writing of the book. And, And another interesting thing was like, let's say Paris. Paris is a city I fell in love with as a young man. I've been there more probably than any other city outside of the United States. I love Paris. That entry to write killed me for some reason. It's like the New York entry. Like, right. what do you say? Or the New Orleans entry. Like, what do you say? You've been there multiple times, maybe live there for periods of times. And, you know, so it was funny. It was like, why am I actually touching down physically in these cities? And, but the cities really did um, speak to me. And I think I got lucky. Um, but I also got, um, I mean, I was going to cities like Kiev and Beirut, which just are inherently fascinating, I think. And I had, I had been through Dubai, but never touched down in Dubai. Another city I just found wacky right? And it really has its own character. But yeah, the logistics was intense. I, If I have a strength, it's like um, librarian-ish level research. Wow. Um, it's always, it's always um, intense amount of reading, intense amount of research. Yeah. Uh, spreadsheets, you know, oh, I just okay. kind of went on spreadsheets and tons of emails. And I got really yeah. lucky to hit, you know, I, I'm, I'm amazed by the bartender network. It really is so incredible that you hit up one person and they know four other people. And all of a sudden your Facebook messenger is blowing up, go here, go there, talk to so-and-so. And really when I got into Asia, that really started happening with a vengeance where bartenders in the cities that I was in was giving a, were giving a heads up to the bartenders where I was going. Yeah, And I have to, you know, hats off to just incredible hospitality over there. Yeah, it seems like they move around a lot, particularly between like Hong Kong, Singapore. Yeah. So yeah, you get there and like, oh no, I used to work this place. Well, yep. I saw in your book, you thanked uh, Ronan Kilty that was a guest on my show here a couple of years yeah. ago at uh, 28 Hong Kong Street. And Ronan's like only 22 or 23 years old and he's really worked all over Hong Kong and Singapore. But yeah, he knows everyone in yep. New York and he's been to Haiti and, you know, yep. he worked in Hong Kong. And, and so yeah, that, that kind of six degrees of separation, but therein lies the difficulty, right? I mean, you weren't doing this as a vacation, right? Uh, no. you, you lived our dream vacation by getting your, what, how many cities did you hit the book? Just I, it was, it was 11 at one time. I had hit London and, and Rome on their own earlier. And I had done Madrid on its own, you know, trying to go to see Salmon Guru and, and some of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, in this particular jag, and it was crazy because everyone was like, you're going to die. And when I got in the middle of it, 
it was like, gosh, I wish I had done this at 33 instead of 43. At the same time, I think I did it smarter. And at 33, I might have gotten really distracted and actually had died. <laughs> well, and the access to the technology also makes things a lot easier. The reason I laugh, right. you said you do like kind of this overkill of research is I do the same thing. And when uh, I was in Asia a couple of years ago, I guess it's been two years now. Yeah, because of COVID. Uh, well, yeah. half, um, when I was in Hanoi, um, I really went overboard on like researching like, is there a cocktail scene? Right. Uh, who's who are the voices in the cocktail scene? Where do I need to find it? How do I get there? You know, um, am I going to have unreliable GPS, internet, all that? <laughs> so, uh, we land in in um, the airport in Hanoi, and uh, as we're going through immigration with uh, my wife's brother and sister and one of his buddies, you know, they're all Thai nationals, so they're like in through. They're already in baggage service, and right. I got stopped, and they were like, "Where's your uh, letter of invitation?" And immediately I realized. I buried myself in cocktail research yeah. and forgot to apply for visas. And wow. It, I mean, it, that, that is so real. I mean, <laughs> it is so, I, I absolutely believe it. And that totally happens. You forget the forest for the trees, yeah. you know? And I, I was, you know, looking up all these really obscure stuff. And then at a certain point you're like, ah, there's five big players here. Just go like, go find somebody and go and go see them, you know, but that's not obvious from abroad. And for those of us that like, you know, get the guidebook and start hitting the websites. And, you know, I have like a Google maps with like insane, I have so many pins that it's almost useless, right? Because everything is pinned. The whole city's pinned. <laughs> yeah. I like to do that when I travel. And that's a tip that I, I always um, tell friends to do. And I, in fact, I started saving them on Google um, when I've traveled so that if anyone says, Hey, do you have any recommendations? I'm going to, yeah. you know, thank you. I just share the map. Yeah. Uh, but the reason I do that is because I like to wander a lot. I like to kind of wander with little purpose, but I still have the purpose. And um, my yeah. wife's an itinerary woman, you know, and I'm like, I don't know, we'll figure it out when we get there. So yeah. then that way, if it's like, hey, uh, I'm getting hungry, you want to grab a drink and something to eat, I can just pull up my maps. I'm like, all right, I've got five pins in this neighborhood. Let's yeah. see. Let's I'm exactly that. the same way. I like to have that research done in advance for that moment where I'm the same way. I just, I, I, I look at a street and say, I want to walk down it because I like how it looks. I just kind of, I'm feeling it, you know? And then you stop at a coffee shop and you're like, oh, I'm actually near three things that I want to see. Well, I love that you mentioned Asia in particular because uh, you said, you know, in, in Singapore and Hong Kong, you're just doing so much or Shanghai. Were you in Hong Kong or Shanghai or both? Both. Yeah, both. I got really lucky to do both. Such different scenes, actually. And there's so um, much going on in that whole part of the world, and we just don't even hear about it here. I know. And it's, I mean, it's really hard to wrap your head around until you see it. You know, when I got in, into uh, Singapore, you know, I just, it struck me as like, I mean, it's Manhattan, but like much more like intense you know i mean the just the competition behind those bars and yeah. people are moving from all over the world to work inside those bars <clears throat> excuse me and it's almost like they are trying to make sure that everybody knows they have a voice but even in bangkok you know everybody knows everybody um and so it's like you know when you're in an up and coming neighborhood you're just almost trying to sell it to people all the time or if you're in a smaller market city and i think that you know the fact that we aren't paying attention to what's going on, I, I always say not paying attention, but are giving less mind than it deserves to Asia is a real detriment because there are so many great cocktails and totally bars agree. coming out of that with the ingredients. Totally agree. And your Bangkok uh, listing, you did list a drink that had lime leaves in it. Yes. Which can yeah. be a tricky ingredient to find, as I know from having a Thai restaurant. We, we have a hard time. In fact, I have two lime trees growing 
uh, I grow tropicals at home. And so that's the reason I grow um, the mugwort lime at home. Yeah, okay. We need yeah, it. Sometimes it's like no problem. You go to the store, they always have it. And then it suddenly is like, no, we don't have it. Um, I, I keep them frozen in my, my freezer just in case, yep. which they but do right. deteriorate. But, you know, I buy them. Um, no, every everybody keeps them like that here. Like, yeah. There's no other way, you know. And I yeah. don't really find they deteriorate too much. Uh, you might lose a little bit from, you know, the oils coming right off the tree. But, uh, yeah. you know. They're still so, pretty good if you do them in simple syrup. They'll come right out. Those oils come out. Yeah. Absolutely. But I, I absolutely agree with you, Ed. I mean, I, I when I when I went over there, I immediately came back and thought, all of our drinks magazines need to have an international desk like yesterday, you know, because it's so inspiring. And I think people just need to be exposed. But here's the thing. I think all of fields are a little bit like that for us now in the United States. And yeah. especially during the last four years, the United States went really introspective. If we look at a country, it's probably Mexico and Mezcal, right? That's the other culture that we've been looking at. And we've been, and, you know, maybe some others, but We've been really asleep at, uh, and maybe London, but I don't even think we look at London that much. And um, we've been really asleep on what's happening in Asia. And um, it's, it's phenomenal. And, but I found it a really joyful experience because it really reminded me of the early optimism and amazingness yeah. of the craft cocktail scene in the United States in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. um, which is sort of my generation. And um, I just felt this like, oh, God, you guys are doing what we were doing, you know, as far as like enthusiasm goes and right. um, just inquisitiveness. And it really was heartwarming to see that, you know, cocktail people are inquisitive people all over the world. I love that. They're always some of the coolest people in any city. They're always amazing concierges. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of fun to see that the cocktail translated to this completely other culture, um, you know, so well. Although we do have to be careful, too, because like some cities have had cocktails for so long. Um, you know, I think we, we get caught up into this, like, Oh, the United States and London exported this craft cocktail thing. And it's like, yes and no. I mean, Charles H. Baker wrote about how the, some of the best cocktails he had in the world were in Manila in uh, the 1920s, you know? So these, some of these, you know, hotel bars have been doing amazing stuff for a really long time, but still it was just incredible. The vibrancy. And I think, you know, part of it is these are large, massive, uh, cities with um, fabulous wealth and a young population. Mm. And those are sort of the three things that I found, like what makes a great cocktail scene? Well, money, young people, and uh, just a sense of economic optimism too. And, uh, you know, and, and size, I think does help too. just, you know, cocktails follow commerce, which is interesting. Right. I definitely find them to be, um, well, as you can, uh, we've talked about on numerous uh, episodes and, and you can read books, magazines about economic development. Um, you know, the bars are, are usually first ones into a neighborhood, yep. uh, you know, to where if you want to look at where you need to be visiting, you know, check out yep. see what the bar scenes and you even recommend that as a travel tip towards the back of the book, yep. uh, you know, like finding a place to stay. Like you don't have to go to the cheapest thing on Priceline or, right. you know, right. the ratings like look to be where you want to be because particularly, um, you know, if you're from a part of the country, like I am, you know, uh, or you're, uh, well, you're in Philadelphia, yeah. different story, but you know, uh, we're a little less dense and then you, you know, you look at something in the proximity, like, Oh, that's not so far. You translate what I do. Hell, even where the route that I go to work every day in Bangkok, that would be right. a three and a half hour drive. A long drive. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless yeah, you're I mean, Bangkok, I mean, yeah, those Asian cities is a good example. You know, that it looks close, be careful. <laughs> it is not close. Um, but also, you know, I found that, you know, I think, 
especially in Asia, because things are changing so quickly, the guidebooks, which I'm a guidebook person, I love the physicality of a guidebook, they're just woefully out of date. And then the, the websites that you get are, they can be okay, but sometimes they're not great either. So you really do have to like, look at, I recommend that people look at drinks magazines and and see what who's being talked about, you know. And uh, you know, I'm not a big list person, but I do watch the 50 best because that tells me, like, let's say two years ago, three years ago, there were no Taipei bars. This last year, there were four Taipei bars or whatever the number is. So it's like, oh, Taipei is popping off. Look up those four. Drop your pin. You want to stay at a hotel really close to them. Mm-hmm. And being able to, like, you know, if you name or, you know, grab four off of one of those lists and you visit and you find the one that you like the most and ask the bartender where you should go next. Exactly. It, you, you've got the job done. Uh, yeah, there's always kind of an A team that, you know, we know about globally. And then the bars that, you know, that the locals are like, oh, this is the bar. I mean, every city is like that. Oh, you want to you want to look at this? Yeah, this is not in the international press, but you got to go. And then when you go, you're like, oh, now I'm now I'm drinking. <laughs> What you talked about, you know, this, uh, we think of uh, cocktails kind of being this um, English and American export to other countries. Um, one thing that I did find interesting, and it's obviously proliferated worldwide, is the uh, proliferation of speakeasies in countries that never had prohibition. Um, yeah. Obviously, they were out of necessity here. And um, one of the places I, that I did go to in Vietnam, um, I m- made an attempt to go one night and got completely lost. There's no way I could have found this on my own. <laughs> Um, but the following night, uh, one of the bar owners, I was sitting at the bar, he had a slow night and he, he took me over there. He showed me how yeah. to get, there is no way without a local, I would have found that place. That happened to me too in Hong Kong. In fact, I looked for a bar and then I went to another bar and, um, the owner took me back to the bar that I'd been looking for. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, I always find that to be a very, um, kind of strange export. Um, you know, how they adopt this because you, even in Amsterdam, um, uh, you it know, is. About that, I, like four seventy four being that kind of. Uh, you know, that, that speakeasy prohibition vibe where there was no prohibition. I mean, there has been forms of it. Yeah, I find it in Asia or something like Hong Kong. I feel like some of the streets where the bars were, ta- you know, took over um, had been like opium dens or other illicit things. And the government kind of said, oh, this street's always kind of had weird things. You can have a bar license there. Yeah. <clears throat> so there's a little bit of that in some of the cities. Um, but I know what you're saying. A little bit, although I feel like the drama and the secrecy kind of drives a lot of, it's just part of how the rest of the world adopted the cocktail. They like it. They think of that era. It's almost like if you, you know, it's not quite the same anymore, but going to Paris and Tokyo and they're into blue jeans and Marlon Brando and these like big US exports that to us seem like oh, that's from forever ago. But do these other countries seem so shocking and amazing? Harley Davidson, you know, these big um, things, these big cultural things the United States has exported. And I think the United States exported cocktails with this kind of like fun, secretive vibe to them. And these cities, as as you know, these cities can be just these like rabbit warrens anyway. Um, So they just don't hang a sign up. And some of these, you know, Hong Kong is a classic where I don't think they're trying to hide as much as everything's just impossible to find because everything is on like a 3D grid and something's under a stairs. And there was actually a sign. Once once you find it, you're like, oh, there was a sign. But Google had me like on the street above this street. (laughs) Yes, right. 
and that's where you know I, I think some of your travel tips were fantastic like the guidebooks I, i'm with you I, I love guidebooks um but they really only work for you know monuments that have been there for hundreds yeah. or thousands of years when it comes to bars and restaurants obviously we go in and out of business all the time yeah. especially over the last year yeah. and you know and there's just so much noise out there when you're looking for blogs or looking for you know somebody's opinion you know somebody you know Hey, I'll listen to Shift Drink. Get some. Maybe you hate my, you know, preference. <laughs> right. Maybe you don't like to drink the tiki drinks in in Kiev. So, um, but you know, that's a country where I, I find really interesting. You know, kind of heading into the the Eastern or ex Eastern Bloc countries and into the Soviet Union. Or, sorry, ex Soviet Union. Yeah. And into uh, Russia, Ukraine, and you've traveled to all these places. Um, and that is an area where I I get the vibe that there has been kind of less less export of that cocktail culture directly, obviously from the United States, maybe more so from Europe. I mean, how did you find the scene there? Because that's something that like fascinates me. I would love to travel to that part of the world, um, kind of see what the vibe's like. Um, oh, you should, you would dig it completely. It is so much fun and so um, familiar yet foreign. Like, you know, we've seen it from the cliches and the movies, but then it actually is. And I got lucky. I, I went to Kiev when it was in um, mid-November. So it was already cold. And I landed and there's all these tall, severe looking women wearing their furs, walking around, you know, and like the weird um, onion bulb churches. And uh, I mean, weird. I mean, spectacularly beautiful yeah. and incredible. Um, and just this phenomenal vibe and that's another city which is physically small enough where all the bars are near each other but they're very difficult to find mm -hmm. um and i had a i just had a wonderful time in kiev i got lucky in that one in that my last publicist was ukrainian oh, wow. uh, who lived in new york he, his parents um i think lived in you know brighton in new york and uh, he was he was a New Yorker, but he was had was Ukrainian and had been to Kiev a number of times. And when I was writing the book, he's like, "You've got to go, man! It has one of the best things in the world." And I was like, "Really?" But it was you know because I knew him and because he could guide me a little bit in the beginning, um, to, you know, to two or three places. Um, but you know, since they, I think for the last couple of years, there there's a Kiev cocktail week. They're really coming on pretty strong, and it makes sense. It's a cock. It's a it's a um, you know, a capital city of what is, you know, going to be a major European country. The Ukraine is ginormous. It is rich in agriculture and everything sort of funnels into the capital and all the money funnels in and they're cocktail mad. And I love them because I spent a good long time in the Midwest and the Ukraine spoke to me because this is like grain country, right? <laughs> it's right. like an Indianapolis or a Kansas or an Iowa kind of with this glittering city in the middle of it. Um, so it really spoke to me personally, which I think it will to you too. And, uh, you know, they, the best cities are ones where uh, the cocktail is relatively new, perhaps, but drinking uh, is very old. And Kiev and Seoul, Korea, I found um, Seoul is really taking to the cocktail because they have a wonderful drinking culture, wonderful culture of um, all sorts of different uh, types of alcohol. Um, a lot of it, you know, rice wine based stuff, but they're really taking to the, to the cocktail. And, and as a result, they have all this food too. Right. Um, the Koreans, you know, have all this group communal food that's so perfect for for drinking after you've had a few, after you've had a few too many. <laughs> well, that's what I liked about, again, I didn't get a chance to read the whole book, but um, looking through the cities that you did, 
kind of address. I like that, you know, you've got the major players on there, you know, hitting Singapore and Rome, et cetera. But, you know, by putting those cities on there and um, when I saw Beirut, I, ha I had a nice smile because um, yeah. I from so many people about the scene there and like cocktails and just the nightlife and how fun it is. And it's just, I think, you know, most Americans, if you're not totally plugged into this, and you don't have these conversations all day, every day, it seems like a very strange place to want to visit. Like, I want to go yeah. to Beirut and check it out, right? Because you have some holdover of some, uh, you know, kind of connotation from the, the early 80s or late 70s or whatever your, your mom and dad told you about. Right. Um, it's a scary, I mean, it, yeah. to Americans, it's a, a kind of yeah. a scary word, right? A scary name. Right. And so, I mean, how was the scene there? I, I know, obviously, there's a big nightlife club scene. I, I, I don't see you being a big club guy. Um, Beirut loves to party. God, they love to party. And I landed right. I was a month into the revolution. Uh, you know, they rioted over taxation over WhatsApp uh, phones and really melted the entire country and government down. So when I landed, you know, there's soldiers at the ATMs, and it was it was it was stressful. Uh, in a way, I had wonderful hosts there, and there's, there's a couple neighborhoods. It is so um, dramatic and surreal. I mean, it's a hard parting city on the edge of the Muslim world. And it just gives it this special vibe. You know, there's couples out in hookahs and, you know, you know, everyone, you know, you know, there's everything from full dress to, you know, Christians. It's a shared government. So it's, you know, Muslim and Christian and, you know, and Druze coming together to, to form this government. I think we think of it as a as a Muslim country because, uh, you know, of our, of the, of the relationship the United States has with it. Um, but they, it's this glittering cap, uh, capital too. And I was there during protests and, you know, took a cab over to the new hot neighborhood is this sort of Mar Mikkel neighborhood, um, which is actually the neighborhood that blew up in the fertilizer explosion. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and some of those bars were hit. Um, but you know, nobody, I, I don't think anybody was hurt in those bars because of, I think it blew up early in the morning or midday or something and nobody was in them. Um, but there's just an incredible strip um, there of just fantastic bars, which, you know, it's always amazing when you can land somewhere and go to a neighborhood and the bar, you can just walk from bar to bar and it blows your mind. Athens is like that. Kiev is like that. Hong Kong's really like that. Um, you know, parts of, you know, Bangkok is a little bit spread out, but they are in neighborhoods. So you can go to a Bangkok neighborhood and, and find what you want. Or, you know, even in New York and Lower East Side or something like that, you're going to find um, a lot of great bars right next to each other. But I do love it when things are physically close together. So you feel like, yeah, I'm going to see seven bars tonight and they're all going to be not like each other really at all right. and all banging, you know, and that just makes for an, an you know, incredibly rich scene. So you know, speaking thereof, and I think a very good example of that, and we talked about it before, was Singapore. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, I was shocked at how close all of these world-class bars are. I know, uh, right? So, I mean, you know, I, I was staying... Uh, On top of Singapore each other, with, basically. Uh, with Jigger and Pony was in the in the main lobby where we stayed. Yeah. Uh, you had um, the cheetah, Moses Co taking you around. I think yes. because it's hard to keep up with him. He gets his backpack and he's taking shortcuts <laughs> in and out of alleys <laughs> and through breezeways. And, you know, he knows every bar, he knows the back way to it. And yeah, you can hit seven bars in a night and it's very wild, uh, yep. you know, kind of the caliber of these places. And, um, you know, the attention you get when you walk in with Moses, I mean, he's the unofficial cocktail guide, 
Uh, of oh Shimbar. man, everyone, every city needs a Moses. I mean, Moses for cocktail guide president. I hope that he opens a huge company and has little Moseses everywhere. <laughs> if, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know if it can be replicated, but um, what an incredible experience. You know, Singapore otherwise, I think would be pretty intimidating. And yet that scene just has, it also has Vivian, um, um, Vivian Pei there too, who was really great behind the scenes for me, uh, emailing people and, you know, letting me know who I should be seeing. Um, but then she sort of let, you know, Moses take, Moses take the wheel, right, in I Singapore. Um, and it, we had a, just a fantastic, he was actually kind enough, I think, to spend a couple nights with me. We had to take a night off in between. <laughs> you know you know what he told me? Because I, I did the same. I, I, I was like, thank you so much for taking me out. And he was like, hey, um, I don't want to, you know, burst your bubble, but you're not my first. And he's like, I, I did what I'm going to do every night anyway. You just came along for the ride. <laughs> you know? I'm like, okay, heard, heard. He's you know? And he I was, was chatting I'm, with him. I was chatting with him about, um, you know, the everybody has these curfews and I had just been in Costa Rica and I said, yeah, they're actually great bars. And because of the warm weather and because the government shut things down really early and Costa Ricans listen to their government when they say, wear a mask, wash your hands, everyone did. So they really did a good job of wiping out uh, COVID. So we were going out to bars, but the bar times um, were strange, you know, like uh, earlier on Fridays and Saturdays than later, you know, governments have funny thinking like, Oh, if people are going to mix it up at nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Let's just close early on Saturdays. So I said, oh, Moses, I'm in, I'm in Costa Rica, but I'm starting around four. And he's like, yeah, I'm already out, man. We're starting at four and we're ending at like, you know, eight or nine or whatever curfew comes down. <laughs> so he puts in a, he puts in a solid five hours a night. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Uh, I, you know, he, he works hard. I know. And he, ha you have to, those drinks are not yeah. expensive. You know, yeah, no, definitely yeah. one of the more expensive cities I've I've had beverages in. But you Absolutely. know, you know, we've talked about all the fun part that goes into this. But you know, I said in the beginning, I don't know how you pull off a book um, because this sounds all fun. You know, all well and good to go out and drink every night, but with that comes hangovers, uh, lethargy. You know, yeah. the, the complete lack of motivation to do anything other than you know grab some food at a hawker market or <laughs> yeah. you know, a three thousand year old market in Italy or something, but. You know, you've got work to do and you can't forget the things that you did the night before. So like, what, how's that process work? Are you taking notes as you're out drinking? Because I, am. I, I always regret that I don't, you know, and when I, um, well, speaking of Singapore, when I had VJ uh, on from Native, um, I didn't take the notes when I was there the night before. The next day he was on the show and there were so many things I'd forgotten because I went out to four more yep. bars. Moses, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah, I you know, do. I mean, in a way it takes the, a little bit of the joy out of it. And, and, but, you know, you can let loose sometimes. I, I tend to front load it. So as you know, I was like, how am I going to strategize this and survive? So right. I land, I do a few places the first night and sort of get the lay of the land and then go out pretty hard the next two nights. But hard for me is drinking water between each drink. Right. I'm taking notes. The notes get worse as the night goes on, of course, but always a picture, always a note, always something to jog my memory. Um, you know, I'm always sort of like, sorry, I'm actually listening to you, but I'm, I'm just writing this brief, you know, I'm writing down what's in this drink a lot, you know, a picture of the menu and what the ingredients are goes a long way. 
mm-hmm. picture of the bartender. So I'm kind of documenting a little bit of that without being annoying because I hate that. I hate being on my phone and I hate social media and all of that, you know, especially in right. bars. But in this case, I was like, sorry, I'm, I've got to put my journalist hat on here and then we can, and then we can have a little bit more fun doing other stuff. Well, that's um, what led me to the question. Cause you were talking about Vivian pay kind of leading you to the connecting you to the people you need to talk to. So as you're kind of jumping around, um, did you get time to do one-on-one with many of the bartenders? I mean, since you're going out early, you're going yeah. out before prime time yeah. so you really get to chat up and kind of figure out what's going on, which I've always found, you know, when you're traveling, show up early, you know, yeah. you can actually get a chance to chit chat with the local. I was actually showing up. I'm re- I really try to show up not annoyingly when bars are opening, but like a half hour, 45 after, you know, so yeah. if a bar is opening at four, 4.30, 4.45 showing up, especially if I get lucky and it's during a weekday, you know, everyone jokes like, oh, you're going to see Hong Kong during the week. Well, I mean, I was actually in Hong Kong for a nice long stretch and caught a couple weekend nights, but it's like, I don't want them weekend nights. I want to catch somebody on Tuesday afternoon, as you and I know, um, you know, that's when you're going to get a conversation. And I actually walked into, um, you know, Jay Khan's tequila bar, uh, in Hong Kong at four in the afternoon. He was the only person behind the bar and we had a great conversation. I did two or three bars, went home and napped and then went back out, you know, with some other folks. Um, so there's a lot of that going on where I'm kind of doing shifts. Um, I really love getting bartenders alone um, and bar owners, especially if, if there's time to, to do so. So I do a lot of going out early, which I find really helpful too for, you know, getting my ass into bed so I can do it again the next day. Sure. And as you put, you know, you, since you've had some of these people in front of you while you were traveling, were you able to integrate any of their specific drinks into your book? Or do you do kind of your own riffs on those things? Because um, I know in previous books, they've been all kind of your recipes or classics that have been reworked, things like that. Um, and we talked about, you know, did not want to show favorites or kind of promote one bar over another um, on that. And so how, how did that decision process work? As- yeah, this is tough, especially in Asia. I had this moment where I thought, gosh, I hope somebody, you know, and I got to pitch this, but I hope somebody would give, it doesn't even need to be me, but somebody the task of recording some of these incredible drinks and putting them in a book. Um, because I do feel like it's such this flowering of incredible talent in Asia right now. Um, so many things. I mean, I guess some people got really good mentions. I, there was a couple times when, um, like, let's say Mexico City, Everybody thinks of Mexico City as a margarita town, even though margarita is not native to Mexico City, and yet everybody drinks it. So I thought, well, I'm going to find the best margarita. And again and again and again, people were telling me about the margarita at Lemon, this Bar Lemon Tour. So I go to Bar Lemon Tour. The drink is simple enough as written that people can do it at home. And I thought, well, this is it for Mexico City. So sometimes it's just really depends. It's not that I'm not trying to like, raise up a great drink. I think for this book, I was really trying to nail more like mood and flavor. So there is a chestnut, there might be more than one, like say chestnut old fashioned in Kiev, but it's not really like that known, especially out of season. Um, But I I had to do a chestnut um, old fashioned. The chestnut tastes like sweet potato. So the whole city is planted in chestnut trees and chestnuts do kind of appear in food and all over. It's sort of like, gosh, this is your city. This is your city nut, you know? And I don't know that, um, 
some of these towns are thinking in terms of that, the way that we have started, we, you know, other, other cities are, I don't know. Um, and so something like that, for instance, is like, okay, there might be a chestnut um, old fashioned, but I have to do one and I'm going to do this one. Um, make it pretty, you know, boilerplate, pretty easy uh, as far as making a simple syrup with, with, with um, you know, braised chestnuts. So there was some of that. I felt like each city kind of was on its own in terms of what I happened to grab. I mean, I think for, for this book, the scope was so vast that it just has to be sort of gentleman traveler who happens to have written about drinks for a long time. And my take, you know, I'm not trying to do an omniscient take with this. Right. Um, you know, my friend Brian Bartles just came out with the United States of Cocktails. Mm-hmm. And we were asking him, you know, how fast did the haters begin? You know, you didn't choose the right cocktail for Alabama. And he's like, immediately before the book came out. And I'm like, I'm sort of expecting that from, from this too. Although, you know, I did try to do my homework and email a lot of people and ask, you know, bartenders on the ground, what's the drink here? What are the flavors? What's going on? And I do feel like a lot of the big bars in any city kind of have, you know, okay, my city has these six flavors. I'm going to show you these for sure. Um, if not, if not more, I mean, even Shanghai, you know, there were Ozymandias martinis kind of all over if you look and, and they had been around for a long time. I'm not sure that like the super, you know, American tide or London tide craft cocktail bars had on Ozymandias on the radar that much, but man, a lot of the restaurants and the older bars did. And I thought Ozymandias cocktail, this is, kind of an unsung uh, martini that's been around since the thirties. I have to choose it, you know? So there was some, there was some stuff like that. And it was, it was just personal preference. So I would love to do it. I would love to do another one um, that was like, what are the five or 15 or even 25 greatest Singapore drinks, Tokyo drinks, you know, of even the last um, 20 years. I don't even know how you do a scope. Yeah, like you would that. almost have to do an anthology of every because yeah. I'm thinking, you know, three, four days in a city. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're just getting your bearings, much less feeling yeah. enough like an authority to be able to, you know, summarize the city in a drink or two. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and like you said, in some of these cities, you know, you you stay in the little neighborhoods where all the bars are and you uh, very often they're on the outskirts or in kind of like previously, uh, like you said, opium dens, things like that. Yeah. And, and I, particularly in like in Bangkok where, you know, Nick's uh, bar and, and yeah. bar. I saw you had a recipe from Tet bar. I love there. that place. Um, yeah. You know, which it's funny because, you know, people ask me, all, you know, because the Thai restaurant, everybody assumes that everyone in Thailand eats pad Thai all the time. <laughs> right. and, um, and so I was bullshitting with Nick's uh, at Asia today one night. And he was like, do you want the best pad Thai you've ever had? <laughs> I was like, yeah, man. He's like, you're not going to expect where it's at. I'm like, where's it at? And he's like, it's next door at Tet. <laughs> Yeah. So we walked in and what a cool spot, you know, I mean, like yeah. all the like the live music. And- I mean, the cocktails are great. The vibes cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely love that area of town. But like you said, you know, you're kind of in an, an area of town where it may not be the first thing to show up on your radar. Right. Uh, and like in, in that case, you know, it's it's in an kind it's of Chinatown. Well, but in like a kind of an off area of Chinatown, yeah. you know, No, my cab driver had never heard of it. And he, yeah. he got, he actually got out with me and was like, is this a cool bar? Like he was talking to the owners, like, is this a bar I should know? And they're like, yeah, man. He's like, ah, I'm a cab driver in Bangkok. I've never heard of this place. And I'm like, well, yeah. there's three bars right here that are cool. 
Um, well, this, I mean, this goes back to like Saturday. So, you know what? Bangkok traffic on a Saturday. Yeah. Night oh my God. Yeah. Family yeah. Hiss, that that's where I wanted to go. Like, <laughs> cause it's like, enough across like, town, like, right? It it took, I think it took us an hour and a half to get there. And then, uh, they can't really drink too much. Uh, and so I had, I was like three cocktails in and they're like, we're ready to go. They'd only had one. So oh. like, yeah, it's a, it's a great place, but that little corner, but here's another good example. You know, I picked on that Sabai because it really is just this wonderful, amazing drink. And it has Mekong, which I think people should know. Um, doesn't it? Yeah. That, that, that one I think I make with Mekong in there. And, um, but you know, right next door is one of Nick's drinks that comes out in the beeswax, which was, yes. I would consider one of the life-changing drinks I had on the whole trip you know, but unrepeatable, but, you know, so the book, I'm just trying to get people to like, go to Bangkok, have some drinks. <laughs> you'll find, right. you'll find your way to Nick's Anaman, who's, uh, you know, I tell people like, oh yeah, there's this guy who's foraging Thai honey and his whole bar is devoted for hot to honey. And it's like, why don't we know about this? This is phenomenal, you know? Yeah, it blew my mind as well. I'm like, there's more bottles of honey in there than there are, you know, brands of alcohol. I know. And, you know, yeah. also um, yeah. you know, serves Worthy Park and brings in Worthy Park rum to uh, Bangkok. So we had mutual friends. And so that's how I ended up. Okay, uh, cool. Bar. But yeah, you're right. Like, you know, and, and the sustainability. Uh, and I think that's something, you know, that you, you know, especially as spoiled ass Americans that people don't think about as much as other countries do. Yeah especially when you're on island countries um, or, or yeah. nation states, because when what you do to the environment directly affects your daily life, yeah. you pay more attention. And you certainly saw that in Singapore. Um, you know, did you see that as you were traveling uh, into like Eastern Europe and, and to Russia and, and Ukraine, you know, this kind of more, especially because, you know, as the cocktail wave is hitting these countries, as you, um, you know, mentioned a little bit earlier, it's, you know, about 10 to 15 years later than it hit New York, you know, that yeah. kind of around 04, 05 and PDT and all that. And as that's kind of that wave is now the ripples are, are hitting countries that aren't necessarily known for drinking or cocktail culture, you know, they get a chance to right the wrongs that we made, <laughs> you right, know, right. straws being an obvious, you know, um, yeah. yes, thing to, to, to mention, you know, if you just, the scene never had it in the first place, it wouldn't be something that you feel like you have to get rid of in the future. Um, did you see anything that kind of where there was some impactful decision making happening uh, that that you sh we ought to bring back here? All over, I would say Asia and Central and South America, and I feel like those countries. And maybe it's because there's such loss and devastation of the jungles, mm. and cultures going from zero to sixty in two years. You know where somebody had no house and no running water and now has running water and a cell phone within two, three years. And so I feel like that, that level of change um, brings about this sense of like, what is happening, you know? So Europe's been exposed to it for, you know, Ukraine is, I would say still fairly poor, but also fairly developed already. Mm. And, um, you know, I think coming out of the Soviet sphere, I think there's going to be a lot to contend with, mm -hmm. you know, Kiev is, you know, not very far from Chernobyl. So I think the mistakes of, um, I guess, I don't know, totalitarian economy, let's put it that way, either capitalism or communism, mm -hmm. um, just develop, industrial development of the last half of the 20th century is on people's minds. But I really found it um, with people in Asia or um, Central and South America. And I do highlight a couple people in the book. A lot of it was just... Um, 
you know, people that popped out is a little bit, you know, in a way random. I was emailing people all over the world and, you know, I just got talking with folks. One was Calo Demetrio in the Philippines, who's going out to these islands and foraging for interesting stuff. He's one I highlight. He's really, you know, um, concerned about sustainability and development. There's a lot um, of that work, of course, happening in Bangkok too, which I think might be kind of an epicenter in a way of uh, people thinking about sustainability. But then also um, in Costa Rica, where I, I um, highlight Liz Furlong, who is kind of using local ingredients. You know, Costa Rica is a place where people from all over the world just write whatever dream they want. You can go to a resort that feels like a safari. You can go to a resort that feels like Bali. And she's kind of like, no, if I teach people about local seasonal ingredients that are Costa Rican, maybe they'll stop, you know, drinking so many pina coladas, you know, which is just canned coconut milk. Well, maybe not there canned, but, you know, just you could have a pina colada anywhere. Um, and so she's doing a lot of work with that, which I find fascinating because I do think that there's a special because bar, I think because cocktails have so can have so many ingredients and are such a specific thing and the people are so inquisitive. I do find that it's um, a great opportunity over that bar to talk about local ingredients and what makes um, a place a place, you know? And I think um, a lot of that was, you know, a place like Native, um, you know, is doing, is doing that kind of work where everything on the menu is screwing around with some kind of Native ingredient mm-hmm. um, to, the, to the area. And from that, you start getting like, well, who's growing this? How's that jungle doing? Are people, you know, abusing this? And that, and that kind of conversation can start. And I do find that globally that conversation is getting, is heating up. You know, I think people are really, really um, concerned, obviously, with glo- de- deforestation and, and global warming. Yeah, um, back in the days when I used to be able to travel, I definitely noticed that, you know, you're starting to see more of a highlight on local ingredients yeah. um, at the kinds of places that we hang out. But everywhere you go, and particularly a lot of the larger cities that you have uh, in your book, when you talk about London or Paris or Rome or Bangkok or Tokyo, you know, these are big cities that are um, where tourism is 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 nothing new. Right. And, um, you know, we talked about the guidebooks a little bit. Um, it's the same tourist attractions and, and tourist bars still get the attractions. You go to the Pantheon in Rome and it still has like, you know, the, the tourist menu where you get two crappy courses of something. And, know. and you know, and some, uh, if you want to eat, you know, if you want to eat pizza and spaghetti in front of the Pantheon, the Italians will give it to you. Right. <laughs> right. And so, you know, with people out there that, you know, obviously without giving away too much of the book, cause you do have travel tips in there, but I mean, you yeah. know, what kind of tips do you have for people to do what you did, which is avoid the tourist pitfalls, especially when it comes to cocktail bars, because they are the places that don't get written about as much because there's still this stigma, particularly when you talk about Asia or into yeah. developing countries or you get into the Muslim world, you know, there's this big stigma attached to alcohol. And so they aren't the first places to get into the guidebooks right. or the, uh, or dudes like Rick Steves that do a fantastic job about, you know, writing out all the kick-ass historical places you might see. I don't know what he drinks. I can't trust his palate necessarily because I don't know what his vibe is. So, you know, I mean, how do people figure out where they need to go since there isn't really a resource we can go to? You know, how do we avoid the tourist traps and get to the real deal? Who's doing what what should be done? I guess representing local ingredients, pushing the edge, those sorts of things. I think good local media is great. I also think that, you know, um, any kind of website that's either devoted to food or drink that's not the big dogs, um, if you can get a local travel guide to, I mean, I was signing up for a lot, to cities that I hadn't been to before, 
I really tried to land and within the first couple of days, get a local guide to take me to the market and start that conversation of what are the neighborhoods that are cool? What, you know, who's doing good work and that kind of stuff. And I do think it's really hard to do some of these cities on your own. And even if you want to do them on your own, these like going to do like a market tour is going to enrich your experience so vastly. So you just know a little bit about what's going on, where you land. And I also feel like getting out of your comfort zone a little bit, Um, you know, it's so easy to stay, even if you aren't the resort type, it's so easy to stay at a nice hotel that's pretty comfortable, not leave that vicinity that much, not want to grab an Uber and go to the other side of town. I also, I just force myself, get in an Uber and go to the other side of town to a bar that maybe is a little less comfortable, a little loud, a little this, a little that, um, something you wouldn't normally go to and get off the beaten path a little bit. It is interesting in other countries because I think in the United States, we're trained that any of the bars and restaurants on the main square are obviously going to be corporate crap. Right. And that is something that I had to disabuse myself of because you go to a lot of places in Europe and you're like, they look at you funny. They're like, well, obviously the best restaurants are the ones on the square. And I'm like, that's not how it is in the U.S. We got to hunt down some alley and some this and that to find something good. And it is amazing how the rest of the world still, let's say, have a sense of quality and dignity below which they will not go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the restaurants on the corner can be the good ones. So you don't necessarily even need to look that far. It really depends on the it depends on the culture of the city, really. See, local guides always uh, it's. I guess intimidating to me because there's so many people out there and there's so many times you read uh, about these horror stories of like, oh, this guy says he knew everything, but, you know, we went nowhere and it was damn to try to get me to buy this or buy that or buy this or buy that. But on the flip side of that token, you know, um, my friend, actually, I think I I hooked you up with um, with Domenico Scola in Rome. I don't know if you did tram tracks or not, but, um, you know, he was one of the first people I met in Rome because he was working uh, with my buddy Kenny, actually both from Philadelphia. Uh, That's crazy. Yeah, Domenico's originally from Philly, but we weren't able to meet up because the tram was getting fixed. But we chatted. Very, very young. He moved back to Italy, but um, that was kind of when I decided that when I traveled, I was going to look to see if there was a food tour or tour immediately, so that worst case scenario, if I find nothing else to do in a city, I at least know how to feed myself. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you know the names of some of the words I found. You know, not to promote any any website on here, but there's a website called WithLocals.com. Mm-hmm. which just was so much better than Airbnb or V8 or some of, not that those are bad, but uh, or TripAdvisor, but this with locals, it always seemed to be somebody who is writing for the local food section of the paper anyway, or somebody maybe with a history degree or somebody with a biology degree or something that was just really into it, whatever it was, you know, I did like a secret art tour of Kiev with a girl who was writing for the newspaper, but in the art section. And it's like that kind of stuff, you know, you just find awesome, you know, if you, if you hunt and hunt a little bit, you can find some, some really cool stuff. And what's interesting is you find that people that are into quality are into all kinds of quality. So of course I'm taking this like secret art tour, which also turned into like, pointing out where all the secret speakeasies were during the day so I could find them later that night, which I never really would have found otherwise, or it would have taken a lot longer. So right. on that tour, you, you know, I just told her I was into food and Bev as well, you know, as the art. And she was like, Oh, well, I'll, sh- I'll show you the top three places in this neighborhood during the day. So you can find the door that's unmarked at night. And I was like, this is how you do it. You know, you just, you branch out, you reach out to good people and you know, everybody knows the good spots. 
I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, Americans, as we travel domestically, we travel a lot different. And we think of our own country um, differently than we think of others. And, you know, it's a lot of the world is a lot more open than you would think. Yeah. Because uh, you don't go in being the brash, asshole, loud American. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I know that you didn't get along very well because, you know, they, yeah, they, they love they love America. You know, the, it was amazing. You know, I was traveling during the time of Trump and, um, you know, it was sort of they nobody really cared. And so many of these other countries, you know, have had experiences with leaders like that. Then most of the time it was just sympathy, you know. Right. 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 <laughs> Well, I know we don't have you all night and I don't want to miss a couple of other points. Um, yeah. So I didn't realize that you were already working on this book until it was damn near complete. I mean, I, I did because I saw the the trip that you were doing. Yeah. I didn't realize that it, you were like actively working on it rather than just researching because right. you also just did um, a very cool book called Gotham City Cocktails. <laughs> yes. It's like, talk about it. So you just did this dream <laughs> vacation right before you, <laughs> nobody ever got to vacation again. And that was the end of travel. Um, so RIP, uh, but RIP travel, yeah. writing a fucking book of cocktails, uh, based around, um, Gotham city and Batman and doing it for DC. Like this is official. Yeah. This is not like unlicensed yeah. bootleg. How fucking cool is that? And how the hell do you get involved with that? I tell you, Ed, it was the 20, 2020 was the weirdest year. I'm stuck at <laughs> home, but I'm a writer. At least I just wrote my ass off. Like, eight, nine hours a day. I gained a ton of weight, of course, just sitting around writing. Um, I miss going out on tour. I miss going to, to bars and, and doing all that stuff. But, you know, I've handed in, basically was really close to handing in this global book. And I get contacted by a publisher working with DC Comics. And they wanted to do a Batman book. I think it was because I had started down this road with a DC Comics um, a guy who worked within the DC Comics universe to do a little book about two women trying to open a bar. And I wanted it to be this little comic book where the it was a story of them trying to open a bar and there was going to be like an evil, um, you know, bar magnet who was trying to buy them. But along the way, you got to learn their cocktails because every young bartender has like their little book of recipes that they're going to use when they open their bar. Um, so I was kind of going down that and I hung it out on the on the on the Web and somebody saw it. Um, so they call me and I said, yeah, I'm interested immediately, basically. I, mean, <laughs> right. I didn't have to think very long, but you know, for me, Batman is the most interesting of the superheroes because he's a real person. Mm -hmm. Um, and the characters are so incredible. Um, and also Batman, the first year of Batman is 1939. So we're talking an incredible era of kind of film noir or noir vibes, um, and it's such a good cocktail era, like the roaring, I would say, like kind of roaring cocktail era of the 40s, where, you know, things really start to take off and we're really drinking hard. Uh, yeah. And just these incredible characters. But I said, I don't want it to be inspired by. I, you know, if you go out on Instagram or you go on the Google and you look up Batman cocktails, you find all this stuff for people's birthday parties or right. weddings or that kind of stuff where they have these themed things. And I said, I don't want it to be themed. It has to be a book that's serious enough that it could be picked up from a bookstore in Gotham City. So I want it to be that realistic. Like this is the drink from this year in Gotham City. It's tied to this character because of such and such. I'm like making up bartender names for Gotham City. And they took a little bit and then came back and said, 
that's the right approach. Okay, let's do it. And so we went down the kind of total realism path, um, which I was really excited about. And then there, you know, I was thinking, gosh, I know everything about Batman. I've watched all the Christopher Nolan movies. No, no, no movies were allowed. So no, this, the license that we had to do the book was just from the comics, mm-hmm. which at first was really terrifying and a ton of, ex, you know, a ton of work, um, but ended up being so incredible. And I had this amazing moment revisiting the Batman comics. And I read years and years and years and years and years of Batman comics for it in like two months. I just crammed. Wow. I, cram- I stuffed my head full of all the characters taking notes and doing Batman um, and then put out it. The book is going to be about 70 recipes. A lot. Some of them are, I don't want to say they're cocktails, the classics with a twist because there's a couple that fall into that category, but really kind of going back to the late thirties, early forties to get realistically what people would have been drinking in a city like Gotham city, which in theory, is very much like Philadelphia. Gotham City in the comics is somewhere south of New York City on the Jersey Shore kind of thing. So sort of a Baltimore, sort of a Philly, just like a dark, horrible place, right? And so all the drinks are a little darker. They've got some interesting twists based on some weird Gotham City history. Um, and then pretty strong. The drinks are the drinks will will will, will pack a punch. Um, and there's a little bit of food in there. They let me do some really cool stuff. Um, so like I have uh, Bruce's parents' um, wedding cocktail in the back. So there's a little thing from like Wayne Manor from Alfred in there. I really tried to get in there and um, provide something that Batman. I think cocktailers will think is interesting, but also Batman fans will be like wow, I can't get this information anywhere else. They kind of let me blue sky a little bit. Um, I don't, you know, not really make up anything new, but there's so much material that you can really hang yourself. You know, you can hang a a drink on something fairly obscure in the cocktail books that people wouldn't necessarily know about, but is super cool. You become part of the canon. How cool is that? I I joke, like I am putting out, so Booze Cruise is, you know, my favorite book. It's a career high for me. Um, being able to travel around the world is incredible. And all my friends joke, yeah, nobody's going to remember if you do anything else but Batman, man. So, <laughs> right. You know, you could have done anything else. You know, you could win any kind of prize you want. Everyone will just be like, yeah, Batman. <laughs> Such a cool opportunity. And when you announced that, I'm like, wow, that's, that, that would be like, yeah, like you said, the career highlight, but it would be like, yeah. hey, I can, I'm done. I, I can retire. I, I know I, what, what's after I, that. And, you know, it was such a phenomenal thing for me because I'm huge, you know, I'm like a, a tortured wannabe fiction writer really, or some, you know, something I, you know, I came from restaurant reviews where I get to tell stories about people and character and place um, and went into wine, which has a lot of people, character in place. And that's my attraction to cocktails, right? The history, the people, the characters, the grit of them. I love all of that. And um, being able to do that in the Batman um, DC universe was just an incredible, incredible gift. And, uh, you know, may, may one of those, it's one of those projects may I be worthy, right? I mean, I just got out of the way of the material. So is that book, has it been released to the masses yet? You said it will that be. That comes out May 18th. So I'm having a big May. <laughs> right, it will be. So um, before we wrap up here, where you mentioned at the top of the hour, but where can people uh, find these? Obviously Amazon and all that, but do you have a website where that uh, bounces everybody out as kind of... Uh, yeah, uh, if you uh, go to hundredarlington.com, I, I send you out to um, you know the ind- independent bookstore groups. 
um, and, and all that kind of stuff. Also running press is the press that I'm on um, running press. Uh, I think is running press.com. And um, that's owned by Hachette. And then uh, Batman is coming out on Simon and Schuster. So they'll be pushing that um, through all of their channels. You know, it is fantastic for writers to go into an you know, email an independent bookstore, have them order the book. It's hugely helpful for that independent bookstore, but also hugely helpful for me because people are pulling books through bookstores that I love. And, you know, I, I've got to know a lot of the independent bookstores on other book tours. I hope to go back to them when we open up after all this. So that's a fantastic um, avenue for, for ordering stuff. Also libraries, you know, this is a great time. Don't forget to go to your local library you know, request these books and just check them out too. Um, you know, both of those avenues uh, are uh, boots on the ground kind of kind of book dealing. Well, speaking of 2020, you got a nice little shout out uh, on your um, booze and vinyl book with uh, J Law mentioning it. Uh, was it wasn't Jennifer Lawrence that mentioned it on her like registry or something? It was Jennifer Lawrence mentioned the new cocktail hour, which has been out since. Oh, the new cocktail hour, yeah, and vinyl. Yeah, it's been out since 2016. That little book, man, it was my first uh, cocktail book. And it just has had phenomenal luck. You know, we don't have a publicist. <laughs> on, you know, we don't have a publicist that's going after Jennifer Lawrence. Right, uh, right. You know, you can't. And I woke up one morning, and I think I was actually in London, and Pierce Morgan is, like, bitching about Jennifer Lawrence, you know, being on Amazon with her thing. And I scroll down, and it's like, oh, my God, it's the joy of cooking in the new cocktail hour. What? <laughs> Wow. Um, so immediately every 20 year old girl went out and put it in her wedding registry wish list. Um, so that book lives, lives on. And I love it because it's this really nerdy book, you know, it, that's my most intensely researched, most intense craft cocktail book. Um, you know, I think we're going to end up updating it here. It was, you know, sort of written in an interesting transition. I really wrote it in like 2014. There's a really interesting transition period where, you know, basically you could get like two vermouths still. Right. You know? right. So I had all these recommendations in there, you know, everything's like Carpano Antica. Well, that's what we could get. You know, you couldn't get even Dolan really um, back then necessarily. So we're probably going to upgrade that book in the next couple of years. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I love, I love that book. It was, that was, yeah. Having the J law hit was another one of those career just like just falls out of the sky. <laughs> well, you've had an incredible last couple of years, despite, you know, all of the, the, insanity that's been happening around us um do you you said since you don't have a publicist should people find you personally on social media to kind of see updates i know you're not on there all the time you're a busy person uh, yeah no find me all the time i'm on andre Dar you know at andre darlington pretty much on all things at andre darlington on instagram um i'm out there i'm also at www.andredarlington.com hit me up shoot me an email i always am chatting with people um you know whether you're trying to figure out what to drink on a tuesday night or uh, you've already had a few and you want to talk about vinyl. I'm always up for a conversation. <laughs> and uh, I think how we probably crossed paths at one point. It was just a bullshit conversation. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that, especially during this time, you know, that's the community that we have. I do have a publicist on this book. You know, I, I have a publicist for the for the book specifically, but, you know, not in general. There's there's sure. no machine. It's just, it's just me. Um, and I'm out there. There's also, I think, which is fun for people, there's a boozeandvinyl.com, um, which has a lot of stuff about that book. I, you know, a long time ago, stopped making websites for specific books uh, because it's just so much work and so crazy. But yeah. that one really deserved it. That one is still going strong. Um, it's fun out there. There's kind of a little community um, that loves that book and loves posting what they're drinking and what they're what they're playing on, especially on weekend or weekend nights. 
Um, and I, I just love that. I re I try to repost as much of that as I can uh, to my Instagram. Um, but if anybody has any specific travel questions as travel opens up or, you know, questions about specific cities, um, I right before the book went to print, I did try to comb through and make sure that the books that are, the, the bars that are mentioned are still open and operational. You know, that changes every day. Um, but that information is, it should be fairly up to date, but if you have any questions about, uh, any of the cities mentioned, there's four, 40 cities. It's a really fun trip around the world. All the drinks are really doable at home too. But you know, if you're making a drink at home from this book, please take a snap of it and send it, send it to Ed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, please do. You know, uh, Southern, and I talked about that last week, showing your work. Yeah. If, uh, if you're, if you're going to make a recipe from the book, send it to Andre, yeah. uh, and, you know, show your work. And we'll have links to all of uh, his social media and websites uh, on the show notes as well. Uh, if I don't do them three minutes before the show posts, uh, <laughs> which yeah. I often do. <laughs> but um, Man, I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's been really hard. And we talked about this, I think, when you were out of the country. And now that you're back in the U.S., it was, it's nice to be able to grab you for a few minutes. And I hope to see you on a book tour, man. You know, yeah, it's, remember it's, all this you know, goes away. It's wonderful seeing you. Thank you for having me on. I, you're one of the people I will head out there um, to see once this is all over. I'm really hey, hoping in fall. For the acknowledgement. I didn't realize I had an acknowledgement. I'm <laughs> like, I'm in print now. I'm, you're in print, man. You're in print. No, you're hugely are going to start happening to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pick up my, pick up Booze Cruise just so you can see um, excellent <laughs> little mention in there. It is important. Uh, Ed is an, an amazing resource, as you all know, because you're listening to his podcast. Um, I can't wait to do a physical tour and get back to seeing people. Um, I yeah. really can't. Um, as a writer, it gets awfully lonely. Um, so, you know, I think we're thinking uh, this fall. I'm sort of doing a little bit of a virtual tour, but it's spring and people are worn out with the Zooms. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I really do want to, I, I, you know, I have a Prius. I'm going to get in that thing and just drive and see people that I like. So <laughs> catch yeah. me in a town. <laughs> Well, I can tell you, you're going to be getting amazing hospitality because we're all feeling crazy, too, that we haven't. <laughs> so thanks for coming on the show again, Andre. Thank you so we'll much. See you on again soon. Maybe we'll be able to get to this live next time. Uh, until next time. Cheers, sir. Cheers, man. Thanks so much. Thanks.